Say what? Hello and welcome back to Say What, where we hear from those connected to the industry about what's going on in our world of electrical apprenticeship. And this includes topics that you have suggested to us, so please keep those coming. I am your host, Cindy Sandifer, and I'm here with my pal and partner in crime for podcasting, uh, Todd Stafford, the Executive Director of the Electrical Training Alliance. So during our 31st NTI, some members of the IBEW, NECA, and ETA, DEI, and B, that's Diversity, Equity, Inclusion, and Belonging, we have a task force, um, and we hosted a panel to talk about the efforts that our industry is making for a more inclusive place where everyone belongs and feels a part of our community, and we want to share that special moment with you. I have an incredible privilege um, of serving on a joint task force with these and other incredible members of the IBW and NECA. Um, it is a joint task force for diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. And while diversity and equity, as we think about those things, a lot of times we start thinking race and we think gender and we go down that road and it absolutely is that. And it's so much more. We've talked about it. You've heard people speak about that already today, right? It could be where someone lives. We have bias, right? You get an applicant from a different side of town. Oh, they came from that high school. I know people from that high school, right? It, it could be anything, the car that they drove up in, right? So there's a lot of things that call diversity in our thoughts. So this incredible group, I won't get too detailed into it, but we are working on a plan to make our industry better and to make it stronger and to be unified because we're a brother and sisterhood. So it's probably a good thing to act like that, right? And make sure everyone feels like they're a part of this. Um, so again, 12 incredibly dedicated people. Um, just a few could be here today. Everyone else is with us in spirit, but I'm gonna make some introductions and I'm gonna read because I don't trust my memory. Um, not sure I trust my reading skills. So you all can just bear with me. But I need Amanda Pacheco to raise or wave your hand. Just say hello. 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 This is Amanda, who serves the IBW as the director of education. She leads a team whose work includes developing and facilitating education and training programs for IBW union members and leaders. Amanda has over 20 years of experience in the labor movement. Prior to joining the IBW, she was a member of the National Education Association and spent 10 years as a secondary educator. God bless you. Just wanted to say that. Um, in 2006, Amanda joined the international staff at the IBW. But when Liz Schuler was elected AFL-CIO Secretary Treasurer in 2009, Amanda served as her executive assistant. But in 2013, Amanda returned to the IBW, and she's earned a BA and MA at the University of Northern Colorado. Edwin Lopez, will you raise your hand and wave to the crowd? Mm -hmm. This is Edwin. He's a third-generation member of Local Union 3, who started his career as an electrical apprentice in 1977. From 1992 to 2005, he served as the union's construction department business representative in the Bronx. In 2005, Edwin became the executive secretary of the New York Electrical Contractors Association, as well as the chapter manager of the New York City chapter of NECA. He's got a BS from the Harry Van Arsdale Jr. School of Labor Studies, Empire State College, and his master's is from Cornell University School of Industrial Labor Relations. Ron Bailey, give a big wave to the general. That's you all waving back to him. Um, Lieutenant General Ron Bailey earned a degree in biology from Austin Peay State University and a master's degree in business management and administration from Webster University. And if that wasn't enough, he earned a second master's in national security strategy from National War College. In June of 2013, he was promoted to Lieutenant General and assigned to Headquarters Marine Corps as the Deputy Commandant for plans, policies, and operations. Ron Bailey was the first African-American to command the 1st Marine Division, where he oversaw more than 25,000 Marine and sailors. Bailey retired from the U.S. Marine Corps after 40 years of service. Yeah, I think that might deserve another. After 40 years and is decorated with so many awards for his outstanding service. 
He joined NECA as Vice President of Industry Development in 2020. And at NECA, he is working on many things, including implementing diversity strategies and leading the charge on recruitment programs that bring new skilled workers into the industry. And this includes a focus on recruiting former military personnel to NECA member companies and various chapter positions. Tarn, will you give a big wave? Say hello to Tarn. Is it Goling, right? Goling. Yes, Ms. Tarn is the Director of Civic and Community Engagement for the IBW. She is an inside journey electrician who began her career with the IBW as an apprentice at Local 26 in Washington, D.C. She is committed to strengthening the electrical industry through membership engagement and by supporting IBW local unions efforts to increase diversity and full inclusion across all branches of electrical workers. Tarn's passion is informed by her experience as a member first and as an activist for workers and human rights. She believes in the power of collective movement through community works, political and legislative actions, and strengthening the bond of sibling solidarity through the IBEW. And last but not least, the guy who signs my paycheck, Todd Stafford, which means I have to say a lot of great things, like he's amazing and wonderful, and yes. Um, <laughs> yes, 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 yes. You all just tell him what a great job we're doing. Um, he is the executive director, as you know, of the Electrical Training Alliance. He began his experience with the IBW NECA as an apprentice in Baton Rouge, and he completed apprenticeship, went on to work as a journey, journeyman inside wireman and as an instructor for his original apprenticeship program. He began working for the Electrical Training Alliance, then NJTC in 1995 and was appointed executive director in November, 2014. He is currently a member of the Federal Advisory Committee on Apprenticeship as a labor representative, and he has a BS degree in electrical engineering from the one and only LSU. He is not in purple because we didn't allow that today. So he's stuck with blue. Um, all right, so give them a round of applause, please. Thank you. And I'm Cindy, I'm with the Electrical Training Alliance, uh, working communications there. Uh, have a, a steeped history um, in the industry. It's been good to me. I grew up around a father and an uncle and cousins. Um, so this industry has been good and therefore I wanna give back to it uh, with my skills and uh, so that's what I'm doing. And I care about it enough to tell it the truth. And sometimes when we tell the truth, it, it doesn't always feel great, but that pruning and growth process really does us all a lot of good. So we are going to, here's the first thing I want you to know. This is about you, right? We are here to talk with you. We want to hear from you. This doesn't work if we don't know what you need and what your thoughts are. And I hope that you can feel honest here. Um, it's a, I know there's a lot of people and there's things you might not be feel like quite comfortable saying in front of others, but it is a safe space. I hope we can all agree upon that, um, that we're trying to do this together, right? We wanna do this work. Nobody was hired because you're so great at this work, correct? Was anybody hired because you're amazing at DEI and B? Probably not, right? So we're again, learning together. So if you have questions, if you have comments, that's what this is for, okay? We're gonna start chatting, but it's about you. So I just wanna make that clear. Don't let us do all the talking. Um, make sure that you interact. Um, so I will start out with, are there any questions? Is there anything anyone wants to ask? Any comments anyone wants to make at this juncture? And I know we're a little early, but I'm certainly gonna give you that opportunity. And if not, we're gonna roll forward and then you interrupt us at any moment by rate, well, don't interrupt someone if they're in the middle of talking, but you can raise your hand and we will certainly get to you. Um, let's see, the first thing I want to ask, um, Amanda, how is the IBW like prioritizing this work? What would you, how would you answer that question? Me first, huh? Okay. You're first, A, Amanda, you go <laughs> got first. It, got it. Uh, um, I'm happy to answer that question actually because President Stevenson is certainly prioritizing um, training and education around diversity, equity, inclusion. And as you know, we are, um, the, the work that's being done now is also including belonging. But I will say the very first thing that he did, you know, this really came to the forefront, not at our last convention, but at the convention before that, when a resolution was passed to lead this work and take, you know, uh, engage our members, engage our leadership around this work. And so the very first thing that we did is we worked with a really amazing consultant. We've developed some programs 
but the first program that we developed is called bias, um, bias and belonging, which is an implicit bias training, right? And so once we developed that training, um, President Stevenson required every international staff person and our organizers to go through that training. So if we were going to ask our local union leadership to prioritize this, if we were going to ask our members to engage around this, we need to model that and we need to understand what this implicit bias um, work entails, right? So he prioritized that for the staff and for our organizers. And then after that, um, we've developed since then a program called IBEW Strong, which is to lift up our values um, in our workplaces, in our union halls. And um, the biggest thing about it was that President Stevenson wanted this to be um, modeled after the Comet program, which I'm sure a lot of you in this room are familiar with, you know, our construction organizing um, membership education training. Because the only way that we were going to be able to get this to scale was to have a train the trainer aspect to it. And so we will be launching our train the trainer program next week, right? But President Stevenson met with all of the business managers this last week saying, I want this at your local. I want this for our members. Um, and, you know, because the reason is, as you know, with Comet, the number one priority of that was to educate our members about the importance of organizing to the future of the IBW. The second goal of Comet was to inspire our members to become organizers themselves, right? In the same way, IBW Strong is one to educate our members about the importance of DEI work to the future of the IBW, and then two, to inspire our members to show up every day and treat folks, you know, the way that we, uh, around the values that we hold near and dear, right? As a union, as an industry, around dignity and respect. So, you know, I could go on, but we, he's developed these great programs um, and we, are made, we have a plan to get them out into our locals, get them into, um, you know, to our members. Um, and so he's, he's made that a priority everywhere he goes. So can I add something since this is a team effort? Always. Um, I, I wanna bring everybody's attention. How many have seen the joint letter between David Long and uh, Lonnie Stevens? Show of hands. Okay, good. So I came on uh, two years ago and uh, David Long and I met many years ago and there was a situation out in one of the job sites and he asked me to come on and this is how I got on. But when I arrived, there's this joint letter that was signed by both uh, Lonnie Stevenson and, and uh, David Long. And if you haven't seen it, get a copy of that letter and read that letter because it is truly uh, a program that says top down, bottom up is what, what, what the best way I can describe this program. And the top down piece mean that Lonnie and David are saying, hey, this is important to me. We've prioritized this. These are the things we're going to do. But what we did was, and it happened before I arrived because Vanessa Alvarez is, is uh, here to, uh, she was one of the members who was part of the task force that was started by uh, Nika. And that task force was just members throughout. And our goal was to make sure that we had a very comprehensive perspective of what was going on uh, when it comes to uh, different challenges and problems that we had. So to back it up, I'm in to deal with diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. And we've uh, been involved in developing the strategy, a strategy because if you don't have a strategy linked to your diversity, equity, inclusion program, then your strategy is just out there. You got to link everything together uh, so that it's a comprehensive program that one supports the other. But th from that perspective, that was very, very important to me to see the leadership say, hey, this is important and this is what we have to do. But the real key is out here. We all have to embrace it and embrace it from a leadership perspective. And that's my approach has always been to come at it from a leadership perspective. As a leader in your organization, everybody's a leader. You're either a leader in your community, you're a leader in, in, on your job site or whatever. But when you start talking about the leadership traits and principles of a good leader, if you just follow those things, you wouldn't have these problems. And so this is the environment that we established. And believe me, we do have problems. I've been to 13 job sites and everything from a noose to things scraped on walls, I've seen it all and I've been out talking and going in to make sure that we try to address these issues face on. 
Thank you. And yeah, that's why this, right, this joint task force, because we can't do it separately, right? We are an industry, we are together, we are supposed to be doing it collectively. And that there is nothing more beautiful, I promise, than this task force. Yes, I'm biased, I will admit that. Um, but to see, you know, hey, we've got to have the same message. We've got to have the same education and training to ensure that it's going through top down, bottom up, just as, as uh, the general was saying. Edwin, you, what about benefits to members of NECA? What are the benefits um, to embracing this diversity con conversation? Good afternoon, everyone. So the benefits to participating in diversity, equity, inclusion to the NECA contractors is, first of all, um, after the murder of George Floyd a couple of years ago, um, New York City formed a uh, diversity task force uh, committee of contractors of our, of our executive board. And um, when we did that, um, we needed some training. So we went to Cornell University and um, we did a diversity training for our uh, executive board, which we have repeated. As a matter of fact, uh, it's coming again uh, next month. Um, you need training so that you can understand what it is that we're talking about. So uh, we did the diversity training with um, Cornell and at the end of, or during that conversation, it was very interesting because at first, um, the conversation, you're talking about race um, with guys that are basically professionals that compete against each other and women that compete against each other. And then all of a sudden we're having conversation about race and it was uncomfortable. And then it got less uncomfortable. It was uh, six weeks, two hours of class. Uh, by the third class, um, people became comfortable. By the fourth class, people became transparent. And by the fifth and sixth class, we started to identify how the benefits of talking about diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging can make you a better leader, whether it's in your community, in your own electrical contracting firm, um, on the job, um, wherever you're at. You know, the, the, the intent of the class was to make you understand what, what diversity is all about and then how can you affect that in the different areas in which you're involved? Thank you. Yeah, and I think what's interesting, did you hear him say the first class versus the third class versus the sixth class? Like this isn't gonna happen quick is the first thing I would say. And the second thing is it isn't gonna happen because we have a one-off conversation, right? Or we go to one training, right? It's not enough. This has to be, it's, so overused, but baked in, right? It has to be a part of the recipe. It has to be a part of our existence. Um, and I just, you know, I keep trying to sneak into the Nika and IBW trainings for Amanda. I'm like, so when's that happening? And nobody ever tells me, you know, Nika's like, dude, we're doing this. And I'm like, and so when is that? Where is it? And, you know, but anyway, I'm going to show up at something because one of you is going to make a mistake and tell me. Um, but it's, it's super, like, it's just great to see all that's being done. And the amazing Vanessa, I do want to point out, thank you for, um, Pointing to Haran, like the work that she's doing with Nika um, is incredible and just really um, powerful stuff. And I thank you for allowing us to, you know, have these conversations and uh, bringing the ETA in on several of them. Um, let's see. I kind of want to. <laughs> I'm going to jump to uh, to uh, Ron with. You've kind of addressed one of these, so I'm going to I'm going to jump in. Right? How do we successfully drive these efforts? Um, without white colleagues feeling blamed. I mean, let's just get right, right? We talked about we got to get there, but we don't have three, four, five, six. We only have an hour and Greg's going to cut me off. So I'm jumping in. So I gave her that question. So He did, he did. <laughs> I actually, I used that question on another panel and the guy said, hey, I thought you weren't going to bring that up. So here's the way I look at things. When I was doing recruiting, and my job in recruiting was to bring in 40,000 Marines every year. And my recruiters, they would ask me, what are we going after? Because you have to be careful when you start talking about targets and things of that nature because you run into all types of laws. I said, I want a picture of America. That's what I wanted. I just described, say, give me a picture of America. Go out and recruit a picture of America. I bring this to you or bring this up to say that when you have a picture of America, 
you're getting opinions and ideas from all across the spectrum when it comes from people who are from different backgrounds. One that makes, that makes it a good organization, makes it a better organization. You drive out, uh, you, you, you take away the challenges by driving out fear. It's often people fear losing something or fear that I didn't gain something or didn't receive something because someone else. That comes through respect, training, education, and awareness. And so for me, I've always had an organization where everybody believes and feels that they're part of the organization. And I think that's our job as leaders to make sure that we motivate, we mentor, we create mentorship programs. And by doing that, now you've got everybody in on, on the team. And so when you build that team, that team will drive out fear because the team members, one, they'll do what I call self-check. They're going to self-check each other and say, hey, that's not what we're going to have in our organization. They'll prevent things from happening. So you do that by being consistent as a leader, by being caring as a leader, and by being things to develop all of the people in your organization. It's a, it's a study that 85% of the people will stay in your organization if they know that they trust you and that you're gonna help develop them. So you have to develop everyone. And by doing that, then you don't show or create a, a, an environment where people feel that you're doing one thing for this group and not for another. But when you show that type of value and that value add, you get good return on investment. I'd like to follow up on that piece a bit because um, General brought up a couple of things that, that kind of highlights what we're working on in this task force, which when you say a picture of America, right, that's what we uh, aspire to in terms of what our membership looks like in the IBW, what NECA looks like in our workers and the owners and management, and ultimately what the entire construction industry should look like. We have had conversations with high level generals, principals of other trades unions, and everyone knows that there is a problem with construction in America. And everyone knows that it does not look like a snapshot of everyone in this country. Um, and in those conversations among, in, the, in the large construction arena, everyone realizes that it's the electrical industry that is leading this path. And so that is why the IBW is committed to working on this task force with our labor management partners, because we know that it is the electrical industry that is the best at doing what we do, but also being leaders in the entire industry. Um, so that is an important piece to uplift. Secondly, that picture of America, how do we figure that out? And, um, and, and the general mentioned, yeah, we, you, you wanna kind of be sensitive when using words like targets or goals or you know, those kinds of things. But what we also understand is that unless we're able to evaluate honestly and with transparency where we actually are today, we will never know if we are progressing to get to the ultimate goal, which is to look like your community. So part of the task force is split out into a data subgroup. And our data subgroup is working on a very exciting program that, uh, that <laughs> yeah, it is a very exciting program mm -hmm. that the ETA are actually developing for uh, this whole joint endeavor. And that is something that everyone here is already familiar with in terms of the portal that you utilize to get into your um, classes for your apprentices and your journey level workers. And we are going to mimic that setup to be able to allow all of our training centers to access universal data from the Census Bureau to be able to pin down exactly what does your community look like? Because if you can see that and understand what your zip code looks like, what your state looks like, now you have a realistic goal of what your membership should look like, what your future apprentices should look like, and what our contractors should ultimately look like. So that's a very exciting project that we're working on. And um, the other thing I also wanted to mention is coming through as um, an apprentice myself, 
I remember being on job sites where uh, it was obvious that I was the a minority on the site, right? I mean, not only was I a, a small, short woman, but Asian, you know, I mean, it was definitely an obvious thing. Uh, what I was surprised with was how some of my brothers and sisters on the job sites treated us in terms of our each other, right? In that self uh, correcting maneuvers, um, it was, and, and I hope everybody here understands and has heard of the code of excellence, um, but that's what I received from my siblings on the job site. Code of excellence where other members said, we are professionals. Right. There is no reason to allow or accept unprofessional behavior on a job site just because we're in jeans and T-shirts. There's no excuse for that. And so seeing other members, other other workers self-correct and say, hey, that's not appropriate on this job site. This is a code of excellence job site or, you know, this is where IBW this that we don't act like that. Um, that is that was a powerful, powerful force for someone like me coming through to hear that support, that level of support that was not directed at me and it was not directed at bad behavior. It was actually supportive of good behavior. And so I think a lot of that comes down to dignity and respect on the job site. And that's the type of cultural change and cultural shift that we're all fighting for to change the perception of what construction can look like. Absolutely. And one thing that I have heard every member of this task force say is apprenticeship, the apprenticeship level, right? So I'm, I'm telling you this because you are a major part of that. Like that's where we can really capture an audience. That's where we can really make a change, you know, because we're teaching them about everything, right? We're teaching them what the IBW is, what Nika is, how you bend conduit. So why not also teach? This is the culture of our industry. This is who we are. This is what we do. Um, Amanda, so how, um, let me see, which one do I wanna, I'm grabbing a question for. So we talked about one and done, right? This isn't a one and done training. Um, and knowing that you work in the education um, and we're trying to create this organizational change. So what can be done to make sure that this is long-term, that the efforts we're putting forward have that long lasting effect? Yeah, I think it's kind of been um, touched on, and I think Tarn touched on that just now about transformative change and um, long-term. Um, and I think, you know, it's it's just like organizing. It's just like our code of excellence. It's like everything that we do, it cannot be a one-and-done training. We can't go in and do an implicit bias training or an IBW strong training, and it can't just be the IBW. It has to be the ETA. It has to be our partners. I've been in trainings before when I've been working with um, IBW leadership, and they're like, you know, this is all well and good, but what about the foreman on the job? What about the supervisors? What about, you know, and, you know, I was, I grew up um, knowing that if I wanted something and I went to my mom and said, uh, can I go out this, this weekend? And she said, no, you know, I'd go ask my dad. You know, so if we have people on the job and, um, you know, they don't hear it from the IBW and they're not hearing it from the ETA and they're not hearing it from from Nika, you know, they're like, well, then that that group condones it or that group's OK with it. But when we have an echo chamber, when we have an echo chamber where we all in the industry are in this together then they're hearing it. it's a three-pronged program, right? It's our training, it's our leadership, it's our, it's our contractors. Um, then our members, you know, our folks know that this matters. This matters and it's going to matter when I'm in the classroom. It's going to matter when I'm on the job site. It's going to matter when I go to a union meeting. And so that's the only way it can be transformative is if our folks know and we lift it up and everything that we do we are doing that through our DEI lens. When we're looking at, um, you know, bringing people into the apprenticeship program, when we're doing outreach, when we're doing um, meetings with, with customers, that they know that this matters to us and that our members know that it matters and that when they're, when they're in spaces, that their differences are valued, right? That their differences are valued. And so I think that's, that's how we can we make a change. So, from a NECA perspective, I've been in NECA two years, and the first thing we did was we built our strategic plan 
say what we're going to do. As a task force, we decided that one, our first year we wanted to educate and create awareness. And so in every program or every official uh, uh, event that we had from a NECA perspective, uh, we wanted to make sure we created educational and awareness programs. We have now taken our task force to gather data to be able to push out uh, some of the educational opportunities that we have. So we just this year made available and aware, uh, at least available to our members. And we, we're, we're doing this at the staff level. And for me, I wanna start with the staff and then push out uh, to the chapters. But we did the Cornell. So we've got 25 of our employees going through the Cornell uh, training also. So these are the type of things that we're doing to, to, to move forward. The other thing that we're doing is this will be the first year and so here's the, here's the challenge that I have. The challenge that I have is that we don't do a good job of advertising and marketing. So we're starting an adopt-a-school program. And this adopt-a-school program is designed to deal with uh, uh, disadvantaged students. And we're going to work at the elementary level, the middle school level, and we're going to recruit the high school. And I now have a college, a historically black university and college, that we're going to work with. So we're going to roll this adopt the school program out so that we can create our our own we got to we got to get our own and so we do that by marketing advertising and putting our money where we should put our money and that is investing in our uh, youth of america so that's where we are at this point yes oh and the website she 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 reminded me and i'm glad you mentioned that we're also in the process of putting a website on the NICA, um, our NICA website to adding uh, diversity, equity, inclusion resources, best practices that all the chapters and members will have access to as well. So IBW has things they're doing, right? NICA has things they're doing. We are separate organizations. This task force is coming together to say, okay, now we're going to come up with some ideas. And the Education and Training Committee is actually meeting face-to-face, -face, finally, um, next month. Wait, what is today? It is July, right? Okay, sure. so NTI week, you don't know what day it is. Um, so yeah, August 23rd, we are meeting. So start talking about what are we gonna talk about? How are we gonna do this? And this training is gonna go out to IBW, to NECA, to ETA, right? So your apprentices are learning what foremen are getting, are learning what IBW membership is getting. So again, all levels are gonna be getting pieces of that same training. And so that the beauty of that, right, it's collaborative. Um, I know you had I just wanted to follow up on the uh, conversation that was just had about the one and done. And in New York City, um, we've had um, diversity language in our collective bargaining agreement for probably six or seven agreements already. Um, all foremen must take diversity training as part of the CBA, must. It's an absolute must. And then every three years, they got to take a refresher. Um, in NECA, in our chapter, we, we speak about, uh, we have a, a standing uh, committee report on a monthly basis at general membership meetings, executive and finance. Um, every three months we send, we track the uh, diversity and supervision. So um, just to give you some numbers. So in, in New York City, the uh, population of the minorities is about 24% and that's African-American, uh, Latino, Asian, and women. And we're working at, uh, what we do is we send the statistics of your company's uh, diversity and supervision. So if, you know, we've got a lot of big shops in New York, we've got about 10,000 wiremen. Um, so you get uh, a shop with about uh, 700 electricians and whatever their population of uh, foremen uh, is, and um, so we send them, you know, a quarterly report of the diversity of their supervision. We also track the terminations. So if your 24% of the um, population is minority, then that should be reflected in the terminations. And sometimes it's not. Sometimes the African-Americans, as a matter of fact, the African-Americans are probably experiencing probably um, if they're 11% of the population, they're experiencing 15 or 17% of unemployment. That's, an, that's a problem. Now, understand, we can't tell the contractors what to do. 
But in terms of the awareness, just by having the conversation, sometimes the, the employer is removed from the decisions that happen in the field. You got the superintendent that's making those decisions on who gets hired, who gets fired. And now that we are bringing the um, owners into to, to understand what exactly is happening on the terminations and or even on the supervision. End. You know, we've had many, you know, uh, owners call me back and say, um, I never realized, you know, I've got, I've got, I've got a 300 man shop and I've got anywhere from at any one given time, 30 to 50 supervisors. And I didn't have one African-American in supervision. <clears throat> and just by having that conversation, paying attention to it, it was easy enough because he had qualified people in his employ and made, you know, um, African-Americans, you know, supervisors in that company. So it's, it's, a prog it's a program that has to have continuity. It's not one and done. It's, it's, a, um, it's a life's work. It's going to take a long time. It's, it's, it's difficult because a lot, there is resistance. You know, even within my own executive board, there is resistance. But the group conscious is stronger than the resistors. And we continue to have the conversation and we continue to do good work. And um, despite the realities that, you know, we live with. That's a great point. And uh, I believe it was Tarn that referenced the data committee. We've talked about the education and training and haven't said there's a best practices committee as well. And so that one has been the one that I feel like when we've individually, you and I have had one-on-one -on -one conversations, seems to be the one everybody's most excited about because it feels real. It feels actionable. Like what's going on in Boston that I can do in Wyoming. And then you can take it in Kansas, tailor it to your program and then make it work there. And so as part of this website, we're going to have this backend access to look at your community, to look at what's going on there. You're going to also have best practices. Hey, this is what we're doing with the Girl Scouts in our area. Here's how we did it. Here's a step-by-step -step plan. And here's who you can contact from our JTC or from our committee to learn more about it. And so you've got you, right, volunteering your information, saying, here's how we do it. I'm happy to talk with you because we don't, we shouldn't be isolated, right? Again, we're back to brother and sisterhood. We're back to joint, right? It should be collective. So we should be helping each other. We don't need to be reinventing wheels that work. Um, and so it's a beautiful thing that we're going to be able to create with this website to where you have access to each other and to learn from each other. Because that's where you, you know, you tend to believe that, right? This is my peer. This is what they're doing. Yeah, leadership is telling me this, but they're not, if you will, on the front lines with me. Well, these are the people, right, that are implementing it. And I think that's um, incredibly helpful. Are there other comments, questions? The audience asked, can we access the best practices information? Absolutely. I think that's a great idea. And uh, we actually do have a database at the international office with all the CBA language uh, that has been approved. And so that is an easy switch to just share those, those best practices on what has been working for different regions in terms of very specific benefits or uh, requirements like the, the foreman training. Um, so that is exactly one good example of how we would share those best practices on the back end for everyone to be able to just look through and say, hey, I think we wanna try this. This language looks good. Let's let's start moving forward for that, right? Um, so that is a that's a great um, question suggestion that we will take back for sure. I think it helps. You know, we I think we believe people's experiences. If you've ever heard me talk about anything, I keep going back to that. Believe people when they tell you what it's like for them, particularly if you can't or haven't had the experience they have. But there's also data, right? And I am not a numbers and data person, but I understand its value, right? And that data is not lying. So we can fight against whatever we want until we say, here are the numbers, here's 11%. And yet somehow 19%, you know, are, are in this situation. Todd talks about it with our survey results. These are facts. This is what's happening, right? And then we can sometimes see it with our eyes as well. Yes. When I'm sure you don't mind me sending out your best practice. So we had a, a panel and we had three uh, outstanding chapter executives. And what we asked the panel to do was to put together best practices. And so they put together a best practice uh, pamphlet. And what I can do is that we can send those three that we put together to you, because we'll eventually have them on the website. But these were best practices that New York's using, Philadelphia was using, and Boston using. And we had one of the most fascinating 
videos I'd ever seen where the Boston chapter had been talking about building, uh, building owners. And so what they did was they went out, they found uh, some journeymen who were interested in becoming owners, put them through a couple of classes. They found the banks, they've gotten everything and all the support that they, they need. And so they're putting, putting together a program on how they can transition uh, people to move up. So all of these best practices, I think we need to share and we can do that. Yeah, that's just, I, ugh, I can't say it enough. Like I, we don't need to isolate, right? And if you feel like, well, we're not doing this, we're not doing these things. Nobody's going to ask us how to do it because our area is not involved in this. Don't be discouraged, right? Don't be defensive. Say, hey, how can I, right? What can I do? And we're talking about baby steps. You know, it's not, hey, you've all of a sudden got to have and do what New York is doing, right? They didn't start there. They got there. And, and I think that's important. Amanda, you're a very busy person. So why do you do this? Why do you participate in this task force? When I know you've got, you're not looking for things to do, right? So, oh, <laughs> he paid me extra on my check to not ask him any, I'm kidding. He didn't, but you can, but he did not. No, I was just, I was giving you a break, Todd. You just spoke, but you got anything, Todd, you want to say? No, we, did, we just did. We just got through speaking about these issues. about talking about expanding the applicant pool. What are we doing to expand that pool to make it better? What are we trying to do? to reach different populations that don't typically look like us. How do we get that snapshot of America? Same words used. Because your jurisdictional area, you're serving with your apprenticeship programs should look like the general population is there, period. It's no target of should look the same, should be the same. And what are we doing to make changes? And we spoke a little bit about that today. And that's what this whole panel is about, how we can grow our apprenticeship program and grow our industry. And it's going to take little steps along the way. You heard it all the way through. Start with the first class, first interview process. First partnership you build with a different workforce supplier for our industry. And then any work youth board, why not? Work with them. Why not find out the, the school to work program, go make a, a job core, one of those programs. We'll partner with them to get the, the members in the, the, the apprenticeship process to apply. Because as we get that different application pool, the more pool, the wider it is, the more we're likely we already get the right person in the apprenticeship. All the way through. It matches our population as well as succeed, what we try to do. So. Okay. <laughs> it's electronic payment. I pull it back. Come back to come back to. So why do I do this work? Um, boy, we really don't have that much time. But um, I mean, truly, because I go to bed every night and I wake up every morning with a peace of mind that my union has given me, that the labor movement has given me. And I'm blessed because of that. And I feel like every person who wants to access that same um, sense of, um, that sh everybody should have access to that, mm -hmm. you know, regardless of who they are, regardless of who they are. And when my team goes out into the field and they work with folks and they go into a training and a woman tells them, a woman, strong African-American woman who has endured in this industry, who has endured. And she tells the person on my team and says, you know what? My niece would love to be in this industry. And she is so interested and she'd be so good at it. And I am discouraging her because I don't think she can hack it. I don't think that she can hack what I have been through. And I don't want her to have to go through what I've been through. And this work matters so much because I want that woman to say, not only do I want her in here, but I'm going to bring her into the hall. I'm going to bring her and I'm going to mentor her and I'm going to have her go and talk to more of her friends and more of her friends. And so that's why this matters because I have been very blessed to be a part of my union and what it has afforded me and my family and my life. And to have somebody say, you know what, I'm not even going to open that door for them. Uh, that's, that's not right. And we know that one, we need them in our union. We need everybody in our union. And two, once they get in that door, we want them to stay mm -hmm. and we want them to thrive. And we want them to have access to leadership opportunities, to career opportunities. Um, because why not? Why not? Mm -hmm. Right. There should be every, every reason why everybody should have that same opportunity. And I'll, and I'll keep doing that today and tomorrow. Um, and the next day, until everybody feels like they have that opportunity. Yeah, one of those numbers, set of numbers we talked about, you know, just an hour ago, was speaking about the, the 
number of applicants we have coming in our program, and they're broken what by non-minority males, minority males, minority females, non-minority. That, that graph I showed you, that, that process of those who qualify for an interview, those who are interviewed, those who were indentured, those who are in the program, those who graduated. That percentage of number declined. Remember, I went through the numbers I had to, for our, our minority males. Our number started out at 23% qualify for an interview. We interviewed 20.5%. We selected 16%, 15% in the program, 14% graduated. Now, that's not anything deliberate, but there is an unconscious bias. And I'll explain what that was. What happens there? It's like my son being in an apprenticeship program. He gets in trouble as a program. Who's going to get the call? I'm going to get the call. They got somebody to take care of. Somebody They know that. The school knows they're going to call me to take care of that problem. Somebody that doesn't look like us, doesn't have that first, second, third generation of help in our end. They have no one, we have no one to call unless we create something. You can go home now and start a mentoring program at your JDC. Start it. I think the local union would be a great place to do it. Big brother, big sister program. Why not? Great efforts we can make. Um, so one of the things that, that the IBW prides ourselves on is the uh, encouragement of engagement of our members. Um, and, and through our affinity committees, supports for women, for instance, can be uh, encouraged and cultivated at the local union level with women's committees. Um, we have young workers, 35 and under, under our Renew um, program, Reach Out and Engage Next Gen Electrical Workers. And we also have our veterans affinity committees. And so one of the things that I think C group folks can assist with is actually how are we able to bring in more veterans into our apprenticeship programs. There are a lot of different obstacles that exist at each of our training centers that are specific to your training centers that, that you know better than we do. Um, but the VEEP program is exactly the method to bring in more veterans, which ultimately will bring in more diversity mm -hmm. to our ranks as well. Um, and so, uh, as folks here, leaders in the room who are able to actually have this conversation at that level where it needs to happen, um, what is it? Are you are 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 you in, encouraged about, or what are the questions that you're concerned about for bringing in uh, veterans who have graduated from a VEEP program to come into your training center as um, an advanced standing apprentice? What are your concerns? You need, we want to know at the international office as well as uh, with Nika to find out what are those barriers of bringing in our, these, these very qualified individuals who understand the importance and value of military service and how that actually, how they can benefit from our careers. So I, I do wanna put that out there and, and make a pitch for that. The audience asked, how do you find VEEP candidates? Say they want to go to Baton Rouge local, my home local. We'll contact Baton Rouge JTC, say, hey, if you have not signed up to accept one already, we'll ask you, do you have a spot for one? We can bring you a program. Say yes, but we got a candidate who wants to transition out. They want to return back to Baton Rouge when they, when they transition out of the military. Start the program there. We'll let an agreement. Yes, we'll sign MOU. Yes, we'll get them started in the program, get it done. But a candidate has to select the area first. What you can do is go to our n2veep.com website and fill out the information there. Let us know, hey, we'll accept three this year. We'll accept four this year. What do we have? So therefore, we know one son's coming already. All they can do is sign up. Hey, we got, we got a spot here. You may want to go to Baton Rouge, but maybe they don't have a spot, but New Orleans does. Something like that. We'll know. We can kind of help them out a little bit. The audience question is, why direct entry for VEEP? Well, it's four requirements that has to be direct entry. And I'll say why. Because we're not going to uh, train somebody in the military that you got a job and all of a sudden you got, oh, well, we know you got an interview. You, got, you might get in. I'm not going to ask. It'll be direct entry if we do it, so. So one of the best practices, and there's a question we can pick up that uh, I've run into just recently, Jim Wilson out in uh, California, he created a QR code and he put up the QR code at the back gates of all the military uh, uh, bases in uh, Southern California. And he said within 10 or 15 minutes, he had nine applicants uh, going through a QR code to get uh, to make them aware that they were interested and they had been in the program. So uh, there are all kinds of things you can do. That was one of the most creative uh, ways I've heard of, and they've had tremendous success, as Todd know, uh, in their program. Very much so. Point taken, Danny. Good point made. Let's go there. The reason why it was there originally is because people were worried once you open the door up in the direct entry standards that it has to remain open. No, it doesn't. You can actually put a limit on that number to stop. So that's why they're there. So in New York City, we have... Um, a few programs that are direct entry. We have helmets to hard hats. 
I'm on the board of directors of that. And we get a number of our candidates into our, and this is all building trades in the city of New York. Then we've got non-traditional employment uh, for women, which is new. And we get uh, probably about 7% of uh, all of the apprenticeship programs in the building trades. And then we've got construction skills and construction skills is probably the single most uh, important program that I've ever been involved in, been involved in it for over 20 years. Um, it is, um, it's tied directly to a PLA. So um, 20 years ago, we used to do maybe 15, 20% of the schoolwork in the city of New York. And we're talking about anywhere from an eight to $12 billion capital budget. And um, once we started the construction skills program, and there's a commitment that 30% direct entry of young men and women, predominantly 90% of color come directly direct entry from high school into our apprenticeship training programs. We've had over 2,500 men and women over this 20, 20 year period of time come directly into it. And in addition to that, we get 100% of the work of anything um, a million and a half dollars or above. It's just amazing. Yeah, I, I just want to throw it back to you on that because we have met with some amazing um, training um, centers who are leading on this work, right? Who are partnering with organizations, partnering with their communities, being very intentional about who they um, bring on as trainers, about um, mentoring programs. So, you know, for us, a lot of it's learning from what's going on out there at our local unions and what's going on um, with contractors who are being intentional about this and from training um, centers who are taking this on. And so, you know, that, that's the way we're going to get better is, um, is learning from one another um, and building on that. So, yeah, so kudos to the folks who are, you know, taking this on and knowing that, um, you know, it's got to be a part of our future, the future of our industry, the future of our um, of our work and our in our union. So, yeah, throwing that back out to you all. Yeah, truly, Echo. I mean, the people I've spoken with, um, you, you all that I've spoken with. I mean, it's it's incredible to hear you and and your passion and your desire. And some of you so transparent to say, I have no idea how to do this. I just know I want to, or I just know I need to. And that to me is is incredibly encouraging. Ron, did you have so I. I guess it's closing remarks. <laughs> so, Greg said it's Greg said it's closing remarks. I'm kidding. Greg doesn't uh, say that. Uh, but I've been to about 13 different job sites, and all of the job sites I've I've uh, been to is because there was a call either from Lonnie or David or to them say, "Hey, go out and get on the job site," and I'm I'm doing training. And I'm telling, I'm telling you this story because I need you. We need you. And in my last, uh, I've been to Salt Lake four times. And in my last uh, class I gave at Salt Lake, uh, African-American uh, electrician in front of the group stood up and said, it took me 20 years to admit that I was called a really bad name prior to this and I couldn't, I couldn't stand it. And during that training, it brought out the comments uh, and the impact of the effect that had on him. And so I say all of you, because I can't do it by myself. This is a team effort. And I can't tell you how much I appreciate uh, the support I've received. And I say you go out and do the same thing because uh, you've got you've to find people you're going to mentor. You've got to find people you're going to sponsor. And you've got to create an environment that where everyone can thrive in the environment. So. It's, it's gonna take all of us to make a change. And I'm here because I wanna change the industry and make it better. Thank you. Anybody else? Yeah, please feel free. Anybody wanna make any last comments? Sure, I guess we'll just go down the line. Um, so I, I think what's most important that I would like to express is ultimately this work, the diversity, equity, and inclusion work, um, the, 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 pivot, the pivotal goal is to make everyone feel as though they belong in the industry, in our unions, on the job site, um, and, and feel like leaders in this, this creation of one of somebody out there said uh, the family, right? Because if we are unable to cultivate that feeling of belonging amongst ourselves, then we will not be able to um, work together to get anything done, 
It, we end up fighting against each other on the job site over stupid stuff. Um, we will unable to be able to get through conflict resolution because we are, instead of cultivating solidarity and family, are in our actions actually cultivating um, divisiveness. So I, I think that it's important for us to connect with our values in terms of what it is that makes you feel proud of the work that you do and what it is that makes us want to share that feeling with others. And so that's what has informed my work in terms of all of this diversity, equity, and inclusion. But even from the beginning, when I was welcomed onto a job site and I felt as though I belonged, I want that feeling for every single person who comes through our industry. So this was a great um, discussion this, eve, uh, this afternoon. Um, I wanted to identify with Tarn. She was talking about how she felt so grateful for the experiences that she's had in the IBEW. I've been walking picket lines since I'm three years old. My father couldn't be an electrician because at the time you had to be the son of, and his father wasn't an electrician. He was a manufacturing worker. Um, in 1958, they formed this Latino organization of electricians, of which my father and Harry Vanazil were the first two members. And um, as a result of that, I'm a product of that. Um, I became an electrician. I have cousins, uncles. My daughter is a project manager for one of our largest contractors. Um, and I have the same feeling that Tarn has about the gratitude of the experiences that I've been given as an IBEW member. And at this point of my life, uh, 17 years now with NECA, to be able to work jointly with the IBEW and work on civil rights and workers' rights issues is just an amazing experience. And I'm just glad and proud to participate. Just closing up, I still got three minutes. Where's Greg? I still got three minutes on my five minutes you owed me. Um, <laughs> from where was that? I can't even remember. I'm joking. I'm messing with Greg. This is what we do. That's why I love working here. Um, it is truly a pleasure and honor, privilege, all those words um, to serve you all. Um, as we've kind of all mentioned our, our histories and, you know, I was around, I existed for the first NTI ever. And to be able to do this, it's almost like emotional for me, but to be here and be able to do this and impact it, man, that's, it's overwhelming, right? And, and we get to do this together. And so I just, I'm very grateful um, and truly to these people, these people that I've had the privilege of getting to know um, and to serve with. It's just, you guys have no idea their hearts and their passion for you um, and for our industry. And so it's a beautiful thing. I would like you to give a massively huge round of applause for them. That was possibly one of, I'm not going to say it was my favorite. Okay, I did say it was one of. One of my favorite NTI moments was doing this panel. I agree as well, Cindy. And to see the, the commitment our industry shows about uh, committing a task force, first of all, to take care and to tackle the issues that we need to tackle our industry and what we're doing, and the maturity of the level at which we address it. From our audience members and the conversations we have, which is great. If we're going to grow as an industry, we have to address things at a mature level and address the issues we want to talk about. And I think this is perfect. Great. One of my great... Uh, session we had at NTI this year, and I have a tremendous feedback about this panel session that we on, on what we was able to do there. Uh, we just got to keep the momentum rolling. Yeah, yeah. The openness I, I have found when we discuss this topic of the audience, you right. know, whoever whoever it is, IBW, NECA, ETA, training directors, instructors, you know, people. Even if they say, I don't know how to do it, right. they seem to want to, right? I want a more inclusive industry. I want a place where people belong. And man, these these panel members, I will say it again. I said it there. I'm saying it now. Um, just the commitment um, and the connectedness right. that we feel um, amongst mm -hmm. these organizations coming together to work on this is- Shows how great organizations are. We have that kind of representatives coming together. This yes. I love it. Yes. So a thanks, a big thanks to the entire IBW NECA ETA task force, mm -hmm. like every member that was or was not at NTI, like each of you make such a big impression. I know on my life mm -hmm. personally, and then on this industry and this work, but mm -hmm. a very special thanks to Amanda, Edwin, Ron, and Tarn for joining us at NTI and sharing your passion for our industry and this important work to make us the absolute best we can be 
Big thanks as always to the listeners. Thank you for joining us and listening in. Um, and remember, we do want to hear from you. So send those topics over to us at say what, that's S-A-Y-W-A-T-T at electricaltrainingalliance.org. Our next episode is going to drop in November. And we are talking to our buddy, uh, Martin Helms, who is the executive director of Helmets to Hard Hats. Until then, you stay connected with us through newsletters, blog posts, follow us on social media, connect and subscribe to the podcast, stay powered up, and we will see you next time. Say what? <laughs>